What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Run the Damn Pod. I'm your host, Jordan. First off, want to apologize for the last couple of weeks. I've been off my game recently, was traveling for work a couple of weeks ago, and last week I recorded my segment, and I suck at this, so it cut off halfway through, and I didn't notice it until I was done recording, so just a jumble of a couple of weeks, um, kind of reflective of George's performance over the last couple of weeks, but we'll get into that in a second. Appreciate you guys tuning in, as always, to the show. Please be sure to follow and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, wherever you get podcasts. If you don't see it on your podcast app, let me know and I'll get it up on there. So as always, thanks, like I said, for tuning in. Going to start out the week with the Georgia breakdown, probably five, 10 minutes worth of that, and then get into the action from around the world of college football. So if you're not a Georgia fan, if you don't care about Georgia, or if you don't want to hear me complain about Georgia football for five, 10-ish minutes, then go ahead and skip forward to about the 10-minute mark. Um, Got to talk about my dogs as always, but then we will whip around to the rest of the country, the rest of, of college football. So starting out with the Georgia breakdown, going to look at some of the issues that we've seen over the past couple of weeks, see what's going on with the team, going to look at our offensive and defensive players of the game for the game against Missouri, then jumping into CFBY, we're going to go with our game of the week, our player of the week, and then check in on who I'm buying and selling. After that, going to look at a few headlines from around the world of college football, check my Heisman rankings, my playoff predictions, some hot takes making a comeback. Um, no, we like the hot takes. Got to get a couple more of those in, so we are going to hit some hot takes this week. And then we're going to go with my picks for this coming weekend. So starting off, as always, with the Georgia breakdown, guys, you, anybody who knows me knows this is going to be a tough segment. I'm going to have a lot to say. It's going to be justified, um, and I'm sorry about it. So, like I said, if you don't want to hear me complain about the team, you got about 10 minutes worth of time you can skip forward. So, getting into the breakdown here, I think first thing we have to do is wake up to the idea that UGA this year really may not be all that. Um, before I get into this, I'll preface this segment by saying this. Every team has a bad week or two throughout the season. This is nothing new. Clemson struggled past Georgia Tech in the first half this year. Bama eked by Texas, who does not look like a good team this year. Ohio State edged out a Notre Dame team that's since kind of plummeted. Poor performances aren't fun to watch, but even elite teams do have them. Like I said, Clemson, traditionally Clemson has one or two games. Alabama had a few games last year where they really squeaked by. So not out of the ordinary, but that said... It's usually fixed right away. So Georgia is now coming off of back-to-back weeks, uninspired, borderline embarrassing football against two teams who are objectively, you can argue with me about this all you want, but these two teams were objectively in the bottom third of teams in the country when it comes to football. Now, credit where due, at least the offense held their own against Kent State. The game was never really in doubt. We knew Georgia was going to win that game from start to finish. Yes, it looked bad. Yes, there were points where I was cussing at the TV and saying we were going to lose, but everybody knew we were going to win that game. The red zone issues, the unforced errors, the fumbles, the drops, the muff punts, the bad routes, those are the things that plagued the team in that game and stalled some promising drives. Now, against Missouri last weekend, 
the offense didn't bother showing up until the fourth quarter. And the defense played Ben don't break defense all night, giving Missouri's kicker his first and probably last taste of confidence and relevance in his four years on campus. It was painful to watch. After three straight weeks of looking like the freaking Avengers of college football, Georgia now looks like a middle-of-the-road squad in their own division. Not in the SEC in their own division. Over the past two weeks, they have objectively looked worse than Florida, Tennessee, and Kentucky. They're looking middle of the road in their own division. What gives? I'm really trying to get to the bottom of this. You can't make the argument to me this year. This is an argument that a lot of people like to make and that I've personally been guilty of making in the past, but you can't make this year. You cannot make the argument that the Oregon and USC wins just aren't that impressive. You can't give me that because we're giving Ohio State credit for beating Notre Dame. We're giving Alabama credit for beating Texas. And the bottom line is Oregon is rolling right now. They look like the hottest team in the Pac-12, maybe even ahead of USC. And Georgia made an in-conference rival in South Carolina look like they were a high school JV team. So... Those first three weeks, I mean, Samford left a little bit to be desired, but those first two, three weeks weren't a fluke. But conversely, neither of the last the last week, two weeks have not been just a blip either. They haven't been a fluke. I got to admit, guys, I'm usually not at a loss, especially when it comes to Georgia football. But I'm having a hard time pinpointing the underlying cause at this point. But I am going to give you guys my best guess as to what's going on here. I've kind of narrowed down three issues that I keep seeing across these past couple games that I think may be the underlying factors here. Number one, lack of depth of wide receiver. For me, this one's pretty obvious. A.D. Mitchell is a legit number one target, but he's been sidelined by a uh, – High ankle sprain for the past three weeks. I think he suffered it against South Carolina. And I'm going to go on a little tangent here and say that's another point against Kirby's bogus handling of injury news. He said after that game that AD could have returned against South Carolina. But my man knew full well the kid had a high ankle sprain. And that's an injury that Kirby and AD both know could realistically keep him out until November and potentially beyond. High ankle sprains are nothing to, nothing to mess around with. They're a tough injury to get through. So to pretend like he could have come back that game and just try and bullshit everybody past this injury that's beyond me anyway moving on back on course ad's absence has forced inexperienced guys like dylan bell and veteran role players like Lad mcconkey marcus rosemey guys like that into larger roles and i'm sorry to this point they've been incapable of shouldering the load it's nothing against them they're great role players and ad mitchell's a hard guy to he's a hard guy to replace he's big shoes to fill but to this point, they've been incapable of shouldering the weight. And I will say this too, you know, a lot of people like to lump in tight ends with the pass catchers of the wide receivers. I don't. Wide receivers and tight ends are two distinctly different positions, two distinctly different skill sets. And a historically good tight end room and the best player in college football can cover up some holes. And you've seen that. But teams can now blanket that best player in college football and Brock Bowers at the expense of lighter coverage on less reliable options. And so far, that game plan is working. Georgia's running out of quick fixes here, and I think this lack of depth at wide receiver is something that has to get fixed. Some guys are going to have to step up. I know AD is going to get healthy at some point, but you're going to have to have some two, three, four options. 
I know we haven't recruited well at the wide receiver position over the past couple of years, but some of these guys are going to have to step up. Ladd is a talented guy. Dylan Bell's a talented guy. Marcus Rose is a talented guy. Some of these guys are going to have to step up and prove to be number 1B kind of options to ADs 1A because, honestly, you don't know when the kid's coming back. High ankle sprains can nag all season long. Second thing I've noticed, and if you know me, if you talk to me, I've had this issue with Georgia football for a long time, kind of dating back to the Chubb and Michelle days because it worked with Chubb and Michelle. It hasn't worked since then. We've got a new wrinkle in it this year, so I'm just going to get into it. It's the jumbled offensive line of the run game. The run game is the issue that I think dates back a couple of years, jumbling up too many rotations. I'll tell you guys what I mean. It dates back a couple of years, and this year it's expanded to include the offensive line. Part of this is the staff has an embarrassment of riches at running back and offensive line. They're the two positions that Georgia recruits the best, and mad credit to them for that. What they're doing is they're trying to get the they're trying their best to get every player involved and give elite players enough opportunities. That's commendable. That's respectable. I like the strategy until it sacrifices continuity. What I'm saying is, as soon as Kendall Milton hits a big run, he's yanked, and Kenny McIntosh comes in. Kenny McIntosh butts off an explosive screenplay. Now, okay, let's get fresh legs in, and Dijon Edwards comes in. Fresh legs are one thing, but preventing a player from hitting their stride and capitalizing on their success is another. I had this issue all the time last year with Zeus, James Cook, and Kenny McIntosh. All these guys, talented in different ways and can be used to complement each other, but at a certain point, you're not letting them build continuity and capitalize on success, and it's hindering their development and their production. This year, it's happening at offensive line, too, and I haven't seen that before. I've seen no less than four combinations per game of different offensive line alignments. Consistency and communication are key on the offensive line more than anywhere else on the football field. If you need continuity at one position, it's on the offensive line. So you see things, it's, you know, it's impossible to get guys consistently communicating well, gelling together when there are this many different rotations on the offensive line. So you see the effects of this in, thing like, in things like blown pass protection, red zone scoring issues, inconsistent push in the run game. Now don't tell me I'm making this up either because you turn on a game, watch any of the highlights, watch a game start to finish, and you'll see every one of these things almost in order. Blown pass protection for a sack. Red zone scoring issues, those reared their head against both Samford, Missouri, and against um, Kent State. And then inconsistent push in the run game. The run game gets a little bit of push, then they cycle somebody else in, and you're back to it again. So we're damn near halfway, but my point is we're damn near halfway through the season at this point. The time for experimentation is over. Running back is one thing. Keeping fresh legs, I think they abuse it, but at the offensive line, there's no excuse. Pick the right combination, pick the right rotation, and stick with it. I get you've got talented players. I get you want to keep everybody happy, but you can't sacrifice continuity and results. And I will say number three, the third issue that I'm looking at here, but the first two have been offensive. The defense isn't blameless here. I'm seeing a lack of discipline in coverage, tackling, and effort on the defense. We all expected as fans to see a step back from the defense from last year. You lost an entire starting lineup, entire core of linebackers to the NFL. But the lack of discipline is a coaching issue more than a personnel issue. Jordan Davis, N'Kobe Dean, Quay Walker, I don't care. None of those guys ever showed a lack of discipline. This seems more like a coaching issue to me. 
blame it on Dan Lanning leaving, blame it on young, young inexperienced guys. I don't know, but I'm seeing a lack of discipline. The defense isn't getting beat over the top. They're not getting the top blown off of them. They're not getting out physical as a rule with a couple of exceptions. What they're doing is they're missing assignments, they're loafing around, and they're displaying poor tackling mechanics. Those are things I haven't seen from Georgia in the past. I don't know. You chalk it up to playing down to the level of competition, getting drunk the night before. I don't know what it is, but it's new, and it needs to get fixed. So those are the three things that I've seen the most trouble with that maybe I can pinpoint down as the issues that Georgia's seen over the past two weeks. End of the day, Georgia's still undefeated. They're still in the driver's seat in the SEC East, and you can make the case they're still in the driver's seat in the SEC. But you got two we're, – we're damn near halfway through the season. Like I said, you've got two, two weeks before the bye week to figure things out before the schedule gets very, very real. The first – the team I saw the first three weeks that played Oregon, South Carolina, Samford, they could compete with 2019 LSU or 2020 Alabama as the best college football teams of all time. You saw that built up in the media, and that was very real. But the team I've seen the last two weeks against Kent State and Missouri isn't getting past Kentucky, Mississippi State, or Tennessee, or even Florida. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but these issues need to be addressed or we're going to struggle down the stretch after the bye week. So that said, getting into some positive takeaways from the game, my offense player of the game, Kendall Milton, seven carries for 63 yards and a touchdown that shifted momentum late. Thought he played a huge role. He was the most consistent and explosive back this game. But again, the stats don't show it because of the endless rotation of running back. Still love what I saw from Kendall Milton, a couple big runs, like the day from him. Defensive player of the game, going with Nolan Smith, four tackles, a sack, and a tackle for loss. He's always in the backfield. He plays sound assignment football. The thing I love about Smith is he's comfortable setting the edge. He's not stat chasing. He's an A1 teammate, and that's going to pay dividends both for him when it comes to draft time, seeing he's an unselfish, selfless player who wants to see the team win first, and it's going to pay dividends for this team down the line too. So, Huge game from Nolan Smith. He's a leader on this defense. Like what I see from him so far as well. So that wraps up my Georgia breakdown for the week. Going to jump into the college football wide, nationwide college football news. So appreciate you guys sticking with me. If you are just tuning in, I bitched about Georgia. Now we're moving on to the NCAA wide news. My game of the week this week. Honestly, for such a stacked slate of games, I was a little bit disappointed at how a lot of them shook out. That's okay. It happens. It's not like I was paying a ton of attention this weekend. Anyway, I happen to be at Disney World because I'm a 15-year-old at heart, and me and my fiance were taking a pre-moon down to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I won't let anybody judge me. It was a blast, so we had a great time. I didn't watch a ton of college football, but I did tune in to the Ole Miss-Kentucky game, and that actually seemed like the one game to me that was kind of entertaining to watch. It was mistake-ridden football on both ends, but again, like I said, super entertaining to watch. Wild finish. Will Levis was strip-sacked, I think, twice in the final two drives. You know, part of me, this is biased because I wanted to see Kentucky lose, but at the end of the day, those fun camo helmets, Lane Kiffin's always fun to watch. That was an entertaining game for me. I think it's been the one lull of a week so far without a huge, crazy game. But that one was fun to watch. And I will admit to the old Georgia Tech fan and me really did enjoy seeing them upset Pittsburgh on the road. Um, don't tell anybody I said that. But, yeah, didn't, didn't mind that. Um, moving on to player of the week. 
It's been very quarterback-centric for me this year, and I'm sorry about that. But Max Dugan, TCU quarterback this week, just had a hell of a game. Went 23 for 33 passing, 302 yards and two touchdowns through the air, as well as two rushing touchdowns, one for 67 yards where he burned the defense. And a huge TCU upset win over Oklahoma. I think that's the biggest part of why I'm giving him player of the week is that was such a big win for this TCU program. Outdueling an Oklahoma offense is never an easy task, but Dugan actually made it look like light work. You can talk all you want about Oklahoma's defense, but getting a shooting match with Oklahoma typically doesn't go well for teams. Went pretty well for TCU this week. And honestly, Dugan's put the country on notice that the Horned Frogs are here to stay. They're competitors in Pac-12. And I'm not going to say that they're contenders for the playoff just yet, but they're an undefeated Power 5 team, and that's got to count for something. So that's my player of the week this week. Moving on, let's see who I'm buying and selling right now. If you talk to me over the past couple of weeks, you know I am sky high on Tennessee right now. It pains me to say that. But Tennessee looks amazing. I am buying Tennessee right now. Heifel and Hooker have the offense absolutely humming. I know you guys like that alliteration. The defense has looked passable to good, pretty good over the past couple of weeks. They've had their holes, whatever. And honestly, the most important thing is the program confidence is at an all-time high. It's 1998 kind of high. They are in a top 10 ranking heading into their bye week, which sets up some very, very high-stakes matchups, starting with LSU and Death Valley this coming weekend. They have Alabama and Georgia on the schedule following that game, and Kentucky. But if they can pull out two, three wins from that gauntlet, Tennessee is primed to make noise in the SEC. Georgia and Bama have both looked very, very beatable at points this season, and Tennessee should be as a, seen as a legit threat to both of them and an outright favorite over LSU. For those reasons, I'm buying Rocky Top. Look out for them down the stretch. Again, I'm not so bold as to put them in my playoff yet, but I am so bold as to put them on playoff watch. Tennessee is for real. Buying again, this is going to be a little bit controversial. I'm buying the air raid this week from Mike Leach. Mike Leach's air raid system has faced heavy scrutiny in the SEC over the past couple seasons. It's been inconsistent, largely a mixed bag. But after the Bulldogs' 42-24 to thrubbing of Texas A&M over the weekend, I'm buying in. Maybe I'm buying in only this season, but I'm buying in. Will Rogers is a perfect system fit at quarterback, and he has the right speedy weapons around him to make Mike Leach's system work. This high-octane basketball-on-grass type of football was never supposed to work in the SEC, but honestly, more teams are finding that all you have to do is score more points faster than the other team, and it's hard for the defense to keep up. Sounds really obvious, but even Nick Saban's gone that direction. He's not full-on air raid. But this air raid type offense can work, and it can work in the SEC. So I'm buying. Who am I selling? Well, first and foremost, I think it's pretty easy. Brian Harson. Now, I say this knowing that me dogging on Brian Harson is going to set up Georgia for a disappointing performance this weekend when we play Auburn. But Brian Harson was a controversial hire to start with. And after one and a half years, it just looks worse, honestly. Auburn struggled at home against San Jose State this year, dropped embarrassing games to Penn State, and a slightly less embarrassing game, but still dropped it to LSU. And then a barely counts win over Missouri, sandwiched in between. And before you complain at me too much, Georgia's win over Missouri barely counts as well. I apply that standard equally. 
So the boosters were chatty all off season in the midst of Brian's cheerleader side piece controversy and a three and two start to the season with the losses that he's got and the shitty slate of wins that he has isn't closing any checkbooks. I think the biggest argument was buyouts, but after watching Nebraska and Georgia Tech stomach their respective buyouts, the prospect of signing the check and moving on has got to look more appealing by the day. So I'm not sure how long Brian Arson is for this world in Auburn, but let's see. No moves made yet. And who else am I selling? What else am I selling? Oil money, baby. I love this. It turns out that oil money can buy the number one recruiting class of all time, but it can't call an offense and it can't implement a winning culture in College Station. Texas A&M looks abysmal at 3-2 and two with losses to Mississippi State, bad loss to App State. All the checks in the world, all the money in the world that you sign to these recruits isn't going to keep these five stars from transferring to Alabama and Ohio State after a 6-6 six and six season and a loss at the Liberty Bowl. It's just not going to happen. A&M has money behind it, but these kids do still want to win. You certainly aren't going to pay me. You aren't going to pay, insert five-star from the state of Florida here, to ride the bench while they lose to the pride of the Sun Belt. It's not happening. I think Texas A&M is on the downswing. Whatever NIL collective they had set up last year may be running out pretty quick because I'm not buying it. That's who I'm buying and selling this week. Moving on, checking out some quick headlines from around the league. Exciting news as Kansas remains undefeated, is ranked number 19 in the country, and gets college game day. It's a week late. They should have gotten game day last week, but it's a great time to be a Jayhawk. And let me tell you, they want Alabama. Next headline. Pardon me, guys. Sometimes you got to sneeze. Next headline, Paul Christ is out at Wisconsin, and Braylon Allen, star running back for Wisconsin, isn't happy about it. Seems to me like a bold move to fire Christ without a replacement in line, unless they're knocking on an Urban Meyer's door. I, I don't know. I always thought this Wisconsin program was above that, but maybe they're not. Anyway, it seems like a controversial fire to me, but huge news that Chris is out as head coach at Wisconsin after a 3-2 and two start. Moving on to my Heisman 4 right now. After, after Kent State week, actually, I dropped this. This was not because of Missouri. Stetson Bennett has dropped out of my top four. I now have C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker, and Caleb Williams as my top four. Um, Bryce Young's status on here is shaky. He could miss a few weeks with his shoulder. I don't know the extent of that injury yet. Um, but honestly, right now, if you were to ask me for a favorite, it's probably C.J. Stroud because of name recognition, but I think the player who's played the best over the first four or five weeks of football has been Hendon Hooker. So those are my top two right now. Bryce Young, Caleb Williams, definitely still in the conversation. Moving on to my playoff. Last week it didn't change. This week it has changed. It's now Alabama, Ohio State, Southern Cal, Clemson for me. Two straight weeks of uninspiring ball have got Georgia on the outside looking in for me for now. Southern Cal still, to me, this is controversial, but they still have the easiest path to the playoff through the Pac-12. Clemson's ACC snooze fest isn't far behind them. And actually, you know, thinking about teams like Oregon, Utah, and UCLA, it may be a little bit easier. But I think USC is so far ahead of their competition that between them and Clemson, they have the two easiest paths to the playoff. So shocker here for me is that through three or through the first five weeks, Ohio State looks like they may run away with this thing. If you'd asked me at the beginning of the season, I'd have said Alabama. And I knew Ohio State would be good, 
But through five weeks, Ohio State's my number one team. They look like the best team in the country right now. I don't know why they're not ranked number one. They, I think they're the voters are holding the Notre Dame win a little bit in reserve for Ohio State, but they have looked massively impressive to me. They're beating the crap out of teams they should beat the crap out of, and that's what elite teams do. So that's my playoff for right now, Alabama, Ohio State, Southern Cal, and Clemson in no particular order. Um, if I were to order it, probably, probably stay like that right now, um, just because of the way the rankings are shaken out. I'd have Alabama and Clemson in one semifinal and Ohio State, Southern Cal in another then I would probably have Ohio State and Clemson meeting in the championship game, but that's where things sit, like I said, about halfway through the season for me. So moving on, bringing back my hot take segment. They are back. Unlike Texas, it's time to hit some hot takes. I never hit on these, but I feel confident about these two this week. Um, one of them is going to take a couple weeks to pan out, but dive into it. I think that, number one, Florida State, not NC State, is the state team that Clemson needs to be on the lookout for in the ACC. I do know that Florida State just dropped their game at Awake, but I think they beat NC State this coming Saturday and set up a decisive contest with Clemson in two weeks. They're flying a little bit under the radar. I think that's really dangerous when a team isn't expected to do a whole lot. You know, you kind of woke the sleeping giant. I don't know. I don't know. I have a feeling that Florida State's the team that they need to look out for. I'm not calling my shot with a win just yet, but I do think that's the bigger threat to Clemson. Florida State's a bigger threat to Clemson than NC State ever was. Then, next hot take, this is going to take a couple weeks to bear out, but I think Tennessee beats two out of three of their upcoming gauntlet, and actually looking at the schedule, let's amend this to three out of four of their upcoming gauntlet of Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and Kentucky. I think Alabama takes down LSU, or sorry, I think Tennessee takes down LSU in Death Valley, takes down Kentucky relatively easily, and then upsets one of Georgia or Alabama. Depending on which one they upset, that could lead them to Atlanta to the SEC championship game. So we're going to see how those pan out. Like I said, steaming hot takes. They're back. I haven't done well with them in the past, but I feel really good about these. And then my picks, I went a, before anybody calls me out too hard. I have been playing Pick'em on the ESPN Fantasy app. So that's where the past two weeks worth of picks have coming from. That's why I have a higher record than podcasts I've recorded. I've only recorded two podcasts at this point, but I've picked games every week, and I'm counting those. I don't care if you like it or not. So I went 7-3 and three last week. I'm now 27-9 and nine on the season. We're going to keep that loss column in the single digits, and this week we're picking Tennessee over LSU. I've got TCU over Kansas. I think Kansas' miracle run comes to an end. We've got Arkansas over Mississippi State in a bit of an upset. I've got Utah over UCLA ending their undefeated run. I have Ohio State big over Michigan State. I have Notre Dame in a bit of an upset over BYU. Is that an upset? I'm not really sure. I've got Notre Dame over BYU. I think they're kind of starting to hit their stride. I have Bama over Texas A&M by about a million after the offseason drama. And I have Florida State, as I said, over NC State this weekend. So that wraps up Run the Damn Pod for this week. I guess I appreciate you guys tuning in and appreciate the forgiveness for the past two weeks of lax content. I promise I am back on track now and you will be hearing from me every week until the rest of the season and into the off season. So like I said, as always, like, subscribe, follow me wherever you can find podcasts. And if you can't get podcasts, um, you know, if, if you 
listen to them on a different app, if you listen to them on a website, I am always open to suggestions, input. I can get this sucker out on any platform you want it on. So if Spotify and Apple Podcasts or the Buzzsprout link don't work for you, let me know. We'll get it handled. Just appreciate you guys tuning in as always. Cheers and go dogs.